0: I'm based at the University of Leeds the Life and the Lifelong Learning Centre, and I would situate myself as an adult educator who is located now in the university. Although I, I say that, community, community adult educator, I've actually been at the University of Leeds for a long time, but my practice has been in the community. Um, and uh, I'm here really probably because of the work that I've been involved in in the offer research, which I'll just talk about in a minute. So I'm in the Lifelong Learning Centre in Leeds, um, which um, is the hub for mature students at the University of Leeds, and we do uh, a number, a range of courses, both part-time courses, we do foundation level courses, um, and we have a degree, and we have a remit for widening participation. So that hub in relation to the research is is incredibly important. The general context um, around mature students inviting participation in higher education is, as we will say, that uh, mature students are much more likely to be from working class backgrounds, they're more likely to be BME, they're more likely to be carers, as is for mature students in part time. Um, And as we know, right at the moment, There is a huge reduction in uh, mature students in higher education post 2011. I mean, there was a reduction beforehand, but the fees have made a huge difference. Part time education has been completely decimated. OK, so I am really a practitioner with an interest um, in research. Um, hold on. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, and also, in order to understand where we're coming from in the research, apart from the provision that we do in the uh, the Lifelong Learning Centre and the support that we give to mature students throughout the university, we also have. A range of what we call outreach interventions to encourage uh, people from low participation neighbourhoods, working-class backgrounds, whatever you want to call it, to come into university, those groups that are underrepresented. So we've got information advice and guidance for adults, we've got very subject specific taste days, we do a lot of work at, in the community, we've got study days. We now have a fairly ten uh, week course that has been put on because of the reductions in adult education. We have sought to increase our non-accredited pedagogy which comes out of providing participation funding. We also have a summer school and uh, we have got a range of community visits. We've got a number of outreach interventions. So the research projects that, um, that I'm talking about really today are um, the, the OFA-funded research project, which was an OU-led project, uh, which was seeking to look at the impact of adult outreach. Um, and University of Bristol was involved, uh, Birkbeck was involved, as well as ourselves. The University of Leeds. We looked at both quantitative and qualitative. On the quantitative side, we have a, a database where we've got over 3,000 uh, data uh, people that we've been working with from 2013, uh, which is cross-referenced with student records. This is very much part of the tracking. As those of you who work in widening participation, you know the importance of impact and tracking in relation to the reporting that we do to both OFA and government. But we also did some biographical interviews. I said semi-structured and forgive me those of you who are specialists in narrative inquiry that was the the semi-structured was very much about triggering rather than it was not a formal interview, as such, it was, it was triggers um, to develop the conversation. And we had a participant sample of 14. Those are people all from um, underrepresented backgrounds men, women, and from um, uh, represented uh, groups. We are also doing a longitudinal research study at the university um, and which we, we are funding again out of widening participation funding um, and the to Peer Project has very much been a, a, an influence in us doing this with mostly mature students but also um, w- with a few young people as well and those are people who are starting off in the Lifelong Learning Centre again it is all a widening participation remit but in the life some of those people will be starting off at foundation level so what we want to do is to track them right through some of them will be starting off a part-time degree or foundation degrees or degree so we we have a mix and we're really interested again in looking at the whole student experience and again looking at the destinations what the destinations mean for our working class students In a northern town. (laughs) Not necessarily able to, certainly not able to commute. That's not true, they can. If they've got the money, commute from Leeds to London. Um, And that was uh biographical interviews, again with a sample, and also life maps. For the the longitudinal research, what was interesting, apart from um my colleagues myself being involved in this. Um, we also have colleagues who are engaged in migrant narrative research, um, who supervised and also who analyzed that. And um, the connections between migrant research and widening participation, very interesting. My particular influences are obviously grounded in adult education. the um western merrill and uh, their european colleagues book on biographical research in adult uh, and lifelong learning um, gives a, a good detail of really the history and the debates and discourse around biographical research in this area um, a lot possibly quite a lot of the biographical research that has been done in adult education Tends to be around learning identities. Um, there has been a, there's a lot of discussion, as you can imagine, because as adult educators, about the notion of um, the biographical being research being a form of adult learning in its own right. So the, the reflexivity is incredibly important part of um, the methodology, and we would see it very much as a continuum. Of the kind of work that we do and the pedagogy that we use um, in adult education, we also um, used life maps, which was taken from life course geographies. Um, Nancy Worth, who's based at the University of Leeds, uh, used uh, this, and this this w- um, our colleagues who were working with migrants. Um, talked us through using the life map model now unfortunately the next slide is life maps um, so this is basically what we were interested in was um, people's background and how they had got to adult uh, to university or um, in terms of the first project there how they had um, felt the impact of the outreach interventions and but particularly interested in how they had connected with um, the university in the first place. So pathetic and I think it's probably the lights. I'm gonna have to, if you forgive me I have to read this. I do see you can see you can see a straight line. This is somebody's life map. Starting from here is when basically people starting uh, what their they're starting off point. They got a bunch of pens, different colours, they decided what their starting off point would be, but and at the end this was where they got to um, where they got to university. So this person I don't know, have I got this have I left them? <laughs> That's dreadful. Um, This person started primary school, Um, parents uh, were, uh, English was was a second language, there were cultural issues at primary school, um, and that the student felt had been a barrier for her. When she got to high school, she had to deal with a great deal of bullying and racism and felt that there was absolutely no support from the teachers whatsoever. In the red, you'll see that it's the, the points to do with education tend to be in the red. So she got her GCSEs, but then her mother was ill, she had to leave school, couldn't go on, looked up, became a carer for her mother, but also her siblings. She got very married for at 19, um, and her in-laws didn't want her to work at all. But you'll see in red, that's coming up, she passed her driving test at 18. That was, that was really important for her that she did this. And then in red also she has got when she had her children as well. So then she actually did start working and she became a teaching assistant in a school the head teacher was supportive of her but there was a particular teacher who really who said to her you know why don't you think about progressing you know you you could achieve more than you're doing just now and she she was interested in this and finally she connected with um university outreach activity and finally she went to university but what at university she still had real issues with her family <coughs> about the fact that she was told to be at university she she wasn't supported so that was her journey it looks as if she's incredibly invisible this one it's interesting has got sort of heart shapes and again the heart shapes tend to be where there's some what would they would people would call uh formal learning going on. This is somebody who started their journey as being pregnant at 15. She didn't have any qualifications, no support or guidance, and what she says is she was left her own devices. She did go to college and did some office skills, um, but left, she said her ex-partner didn't want her to study or work or whatever, wanted her to be a stay-at-home mum. And she puts... I complied. Sad face. From then, see, I can't read. she moved house so she, that she had a geographical move into a different area, split from a partner. Then a new partner came into her life who she saw as being a lot more supportive. She went back to college, did office skills, and then she got what she felt was um, a good job in direct, in direct line, um, but she felt that she was never happy, but she thought it was a good job. So she was lucky. How could she leave? She felt really, really depressed. And then she went to another job, which was a PA, and upstairs, it's interesting, she says, it was very upstairs, downstairs, reflective. Um but made her evaluate. Then she came across somebody at that work who again said to her, Why don't you think about doing something else? The catalyst. Somebody who believed in that. And she went back to college, did GCSEs, connected with outreach, is now doing foundation level at university, and she says, Who knows? Maybe I'll do mental health nursing or learning disabilities. So these life maps were done prior to narrative um, interviews um, and, and complemented them, but illustrated it. Um, we thought it was quite interesting what people emphasised, what people, you know, how they used the pens. Um, so, one thing that came up time and time and time again were people's perceptions of university. Um, my interpretation of university was people that were born into money, parents sports that went were absolutely brilliant, got highest grades across the board. If you weren't any of those, you couldn't even think about going, sort of thing. It was too far out of reach. So Jeet said, because the majority of educated or academic people that I came across, the majority were white. So I felt within myself that it was a bit of a no-go area. You know that it's not for people like me because of my colour, because of my religion, because of my race. Whatever. This traditional student background, i the of the family, I just thought that... you hear? Mm-hmm. Before I came to university, I thought which case don't suppose Sorry. Okay, so wh- what I thought when I was doing this research was. The rich, you know, the richness of the interviews. We we look at the transcripts, don't we? We do have no sense of voices at all, none whatsoever. When I sometimes, when I, I don't know if you, how you feel, but when I look at the transcripts and look at the vernacular, and that can seem a little bit patronising, can't it? Really, and there, it seems to me there's there is. You were talking about the voices. There is certainly something missing that when we're doing the research, but not. And so I'm sorry about the volume, um, but I just wanted, I didn't want to do bites, but I just wanted to have a little bit of um, students themselves. Right. One thing that we picked up and which resonates with other research that that has done is... A real, what we think is a real class thing, that often when people were talking about their narratives, mature students, they were talking about we. And I think Ray found that the other studies that have been done, and it tended to be when younger people are talking, they talk about I, individualistic. But the collective experience for mature students is incredibly important. And... and whether it's more important than for it whether it's a gender issue, I think is something that we need to continue to think about um, in longitudinal uh, work. So we we have done some thematic analysis um, and I have been working in this area for a long time. And I think what was really important to me about doing this narrative research rather than quantitative, even though, you know, I know the kinds of stories that have happen, but I think as you were talking about, and it's really the perennial barriers to participation, the fact that things have not moved on, the fact that the capitals seem to say, stay the same, the dreadful experiences that have, people have at school, what they may talk about one good teacher, the fam- the the family but the importance of the family background when we were asking people about you know what they thought about university when they were younger they you know they'd look at you surprised these were mostly cohorts had come into thinking about university because of the research because of the outreach that we had done so there's a bit of a difference between quite a lot of the mature students literature um, and what we were doing because of the interventions that we took. Now most of these um, themes, I would say, are resonate very much with the literature to, around mature student research and widening participation student research in general. You won't see many differences. One thing that I do think that we really, really picked up was the randomness of second chance learning, which is really, really problematic. People would start to do a course at college or whatever because of somebody they met. Because of a conversation they'd heard in the bus. Because somebody had said, you know, you're worth it. The other thing that I haven't done here, which was a a shocking theme, was the lack of self-worth. People talking, and time and time, and we've got video documentation, people just talking about feeling worthless. And that was both men and women. But the crucial... So the critical moments, again, which is well documented, um, it's real catalysts, key influencers, critical moments, people coming back into the system. Um, So what's the impact in practice? Social capital, good and bad key influencers, those people that people meet, the tutors um, in colleges and adult education, voluntary sector organisations we recognise are incredibly important, incredibly important. The negative social capital can be, as people will have picked up with standard age-wide participation as well, where people are not getting support. There's a feeling of alienation when they go to university from their families. These, of course, are participation and mature students all living at home. How can we get the families involved so that they have more of an understanding of what's going on? A lot of work that has been done in, in the sector on belonging. Um, and that business about people... One issue that came up time and time again when people came to our events because we have mature students... Champions is meeting people who were normal. Students, to their mind, are not normal. But that normality had very much to do with their self identity. So normality was if um, you know a woman from a Pakistani background met somebody else from that background, it was it could be very specific. So we have. A lot of role models, and we recognise the fact that we have to increase the number of role models, increase the peer engagement, that collectivity as well, is going to, is really important, and and for the staff to know that every interaction that they have with students with so little worth, self worth, is incredibly important, and not backs can be very very immediate. Um, so. One thing that I think is really important about the, bi- the biographical research that we have done is that it will, will feed in to our quantitative research. What we picked up on the quantitative data that we had done is, as you well know, it's a very blunt tool. But we know, and um, Schuler um, and Preston and Hammond have talked about this, how you can integrate um, the biographical methods with more quantitative methods, given that for um, policy reasons we need to look at quantitative as well as qualitative. It is how we can enrich and nuance the quantitative methods to um, articulate more that lived experience. Not easy, but it's something that we need to look at. Um, So what we see is policymakers and obviously you would say I would say this anyway um, about reductions in adult education but we can see that as I say that randomness is really impacting on people's um, potential people who have got great potential and can enrich the institutions to um, progress to higher education. Also one thing we also think is really important for policy makers is an understanding that outreach with adults is very different from outreach with standard age. And the, the, there needs to be more pedagogical work done in adult outreach, which you know, will enhance the ex- student experience, the belonging, the retention, etc. so that it is part of the whole student experience. I finished because it's something that came up time and time again when we were doing the narrative research, is coming to that space at university, meeting people from all diverse backgrounds, interesting how people use the language around that, um, and being able to hear other people's opinions, to question, to think, to feel that they have an opinion, um, and, and Given the environment that we're in, isn't university supposed to be for this as well, for the public, the civic engagement, as well as um, our daytime jobs? Okay, thanks very much.